After fighting and coaching his way through a storied 47-year professional hockey career, Mike Milbury's gloves are again off for his next chapter as a radio host, talking about the NHL, the Boston Bruins, and the hockey world at large. Brought to you by Ketchis Law. Since 1986, they've had the backs of every hard-working tradesman in New England who finds themselves injured on the work site. You pay nothing unless they win. So get your free consultation today at catcheslaw.com or by calling 508-321-7000. Well, I planned for this guest uh, because I was planning on a Toronto boston playoff series but that didn't work out today john shannon who's been a producer a, an analyst a podcaster and now an author you've just released a book uh john tell us about it uh, well first of all we I, we couldn't talk about boston toronto but it would be jay's red sox uh, so that's I, right. <laughs> but uh, uh well thanks for asking about the book it's called evolve or die it's uh it's at uh, on amazon.com and I'm sure that's probably the only place uh, online you can buy it uh, in the United States. It's It was more destined for a, a Canadian audience about uh, my life uh, in television and particularly dealing with some of the great personalities over the years, including your pal Don Cherry at Hockey Night in Canada. I, I ran the show for about a decade and uh, it's it was kind of a, a pillar of my career in so many ways. I was I was working for the company three different times. Uh, that, that ran hockey night in Canada. So that's what the story's about. That's what the book's about. And uh, it, it was very cathartic, Mike. You should think about writing a book. Well, I have, but there's just too many stories I don't want to share. <laughs> and I, I saw that Ron McLean had Dave Hodge on uh, not so long ago, right? Is that right? They, uh, I think it was a little, about three years ago that they brought Hodge back for the... Uh, yeah, maybe my timing the, uh, was off, but it, it, that, that he had... Yeah. He had been thrown off because he got ticked off about a broadcast, right? That's right. He well, they 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 would not uh, go past eleven o'clock because of the national news in Canada, and uh, the Philadelphia Montreal game was going to overtime, and they they said to Dave, "You have to go on the air and say <laughs> we apologize," and he refused to do it. And the next thing you know, as the as they're fading to black, he's throwing his pen, and it became a legendary. Uh, event in Canadian television <laughs> history. It's 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 on YouTube. If you type in Dave Hodge Penn, uh, you will find it. And uh, and it was his last night on Hockey Night in Canada until, uh, as you mentioned, he was with Ron talking about uh, the history of the show. Well, speaking of legendary, um, this turn of events in Boston has uh, turned the, the franchise upside down. First of all, I mean, I know you told me early on in a, our first session that you were surprised by the Bruins' success. Couple that with, and I, maybe you can you can judge it, but I thought Don Sweetie at the deadline had as a good a day or several days as any general manager that I can remember in a long time by picking up, you know, a feisty fourth line winger that was sort of an agitator. Uh, what turned out to be at least the number two defenseman and Dmitry or Orlov, mm -hmm. and what eventually turned out to be their leading scorer in the playoffs, Tyler Bertuzzi. But and that was already adding to a team that was far and away the best team in the league. And then did you see any holes in the Bruins lineup? Did you see any reason for concern? No. I mean, Hathaway, Orlov, and Bertuzzi – was a classic case of the rich getting richer, uh, and and was there a chance that they could they could go and get more than 135 points? Um, and I thought Don Sweeney did a brilliant job. You know, did he mortgage a bit of the future? Sure, he mortgaged a bit of the a bit of the future, but it was to win the Stanley Cup. And last I checked, that is the goal: is to win the Stanley Cup, not just make the playoffs, but win the Stanley Cup. I must say, and, and to your first point, I, I was one of those guys that thought the Bruins would swoon. I, I, I thought that Boston and Washington were going to have a difficult time this year. Well, I was half right because Washington did have a difficult time and didn't make the playoffs. And I thought the Bruins were going to were, were, had their past due date. You know, particularly if you had Marchand out of the lineup for six or eight weeks and McAvoy out of the lineup for a similar amount of time. But you know, Allmark and Swayman were brilliant. Hampus Lindholm had a great first half. 
They were, and, and by the way, they were so much fun to watch. They were an entertaining team. It wasn't as if that they were boring. They were electric. They, <laughs> they couldn't get the, they got themselves out of every issue. They, they, they never had, I don't think, one ounce of adversity, or at least Bruin adversity was defined as losing two in a row. Um, you know, that, that's what they were. And I thought, I actually thought, Mike, that I thought they would sweep the Panthers. I thought they would win four straight games. I did too. I mean, I thought it was not going to be much of a problem, uh, given the fact that the first red flag from Florida was their goaltending situation was so topsy turvy for the whole year. He had the ten million dollar goalie Bobrovsky, who was couldn't find his way, and then the up and coming Spencer Knight, who I think he got a four and a half million dollar contract. Yeah, I mean they had, they had fifteen million dollars invested. In their and their goaltending compared to I think like five and a half that the Bruins had invested in theirs, and the results were topsy turvy. I thought there was no way that they could come out of that uh, series with the goaltending in that's that particular state of mind. Well, Matthew Kachuk is truly a character player. Sam Bennett who missed, uh, I think it was 16 or 17 games near the end of the season, who he had he was very familiar with for his time in Calgary, is another one of those guys that has become a character guy. Um, and in many ways, they were the cornerstone of willing this team offensively to, to some success. They're relentless, as you know. You're, you're a, you were a coach. I, I only pretended to be a coach. Um, you know, they willed themselves offensively. They were always on every puck. I've never seen a team with greater active, and I hate I hate that guy, I hate these words, active sticks. But they had great sticks, Mike. There wasn't a time where the Bruins passed the puck that, that, that was it ever deflected. I mean, they deflected everything. They did a magnificent job. Um, and then, you know, Aaron Eckblad was good. Brandon Montour was good. But they had a they had a higher energy through almost every game than the Bruins did, and I I don't understand why they did, but they did. Well, the key for me is the key coming into the season seemed to be obviously the return of the two centermen. It mm -hmm. was question questionable for a long time, and I think I mean I this is pure conjecture on my part, but I think. Part of the reason that Bergeron decided to come back that he, he was able to convince David Krejci to come back for one last kick at the can. And all things considered, I don't think either one had, certainly didn't have their best season, but they had the kind of season you would expect of them given their age. Is that fair? It is. I also think it was, I also think David Krejci came back because Bruce Cassidy wasn't the coach anymore. I really do. Right. I, right. I think that was a factor in all this. Is that if if Bruce was still the coach, um, David Krejci was not coming back, and and he may lie and tell you that it was that's not the case, but I really believe that that was the case. Um, well, there were a couple you know, of people that got Bruce got under their skin. There's no doubt about it. But these two guys that came back seemed to set up all of the lines mm -hmm. perfectly. You know, you had yeah. that so-called. Well, they wound up changing the perfection line to have Marshan. Pasternak and and DeBrusque, who had a terrific year, and yeah. Krejci was with Zaka and and Pasternak, who had sixty one goals. I mean, so all in the third line with an MVP, Taylor Hall, and one of the I think one of the third best third line centers in the league, and Charlie Coyle. Charlie Coyle, yeah. Uh, and, and then they had a, a number of people that you could ride on the other side of that line, but. Um, it all turned out, it all unfolded by the presence of Krejci and, and Bergeron. But it all collapses with yeah. what I think will be the absence of these two centermen. And okay. but but how do you but how how do how did then do you justify that that Bergeron does not play the first four games of the series and the Bruins are up three one? David Krejci doesn't play <laughs> two of those games. And the Bruins are up three one. I mean that, that, that. I mean Charlie Coyle had a great first four games. He was really good. Um, and Taylor Hall, 
I've I've watched Taylor Hall since he came out of the Windsor Spitfires, first with Edmonton and then Buffalo and now the Bruins. And Taylor Hall was was playing some pretty damn good hockey for this club, um, albeit in a limited role compared to what he was used to with other teams like New Jersey when he was the MVP. But they they really played better as a team without Bergeron and Krejci in the lineup. It's very, and that's a it's an that's an amazing point. frustration. It, it's amazing point because when when Krejci was hurt, Bergeron was hurt. Everybody wanted him back as soon as possible, and I, I think they made a. I don't know. Uh, we've talked about this earlier. Um, I thought Bergeron going to play in Montreal was a big mistake. I thought it was his chance to say goodbye to Montreal, and his family was in the stands. And then he gets wow. hurt. But everybody expected him to come back and make a huge difference. Um, but when Krejci was out, there was an undertone of it might be better if he doesn't come back because the pace is quicker and it needs to be quicker without him in the middle. And, yeah. you know, but then again, game seven, Krejci had a goal and two assists. Oh, I know. So, but, and and that, shot, that shot in Game 7, boy, that was as good a shot as you're going to see. He didn't look like he was hurt when he took that shot. Well, no, it didn't. It didn't look like it was – it didn't look like there was anything wrong with him then. And then he, he comes up big, as big as he could come up. But mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is it didn't energize the rest of the group, yeah. right? The presence right. of Krejci and Bergeron, the, the – spiritual leaders like the guys that everybody was supposed to rally the flag around it didn't provide the inspiration enough to get the job done or am i overstating well, that was it florida I, 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 well florida was good but I, I actually i want to ask you I'll bring one point up and then ask you a question so you talk about the game in montreal the bergeron wanted to play and yes. the first, when you mentioned it, the first thing that came to mind to me is, well, who is the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens? Yes. Kent Hughes, and it's his, his old, old agent. His old agent. So not only was his family there, but a guy he has a bond with was in the building. And he, you know, I, I do think there's a, I do think that there's something to be said for, a, you know, a Quebecois player wanting to go home and play. I wondered if that had an influence. Well, Kent's here, I better play. So that's that's the one thing. The other thing is, I'm always one of those believers that if you have an injured player and you win, that buys you two more days of help for that guy. So they're up three to one, and you're the coach now, and Bergeron comes to you and says, I'm ready to go for game five. I'd, I I don't know. I'd be saying, you know what? Let's wait a couple of days. We we It's not that we don't need you. But we're doing okay without you, and I'd rather have you healthy for the next round. I, I just don't understand why he played games five. I, I believe that the inmates had too much influence in this season. I believe that, you know, I call him Mr. Rogers, Jim Montgomery, <laughs> did a wonderful job, did yeah. a great job. But when it came down to it, when hard decisions had to be made, not only on Bergeron, but on Linus Olmark, if you watch the games closely, games one to four, and now they're up three to one, and it's been Linus Olmark the whole way, he's having a terrible time getting yeah. up and setting himself. All, all year long, I saw this mechanical goalie. I mean, com completely unflappable, uh, right. in proper position. I, I never seen, I've never seen a transformation as dramatic as I saw with Olmark, but it was pretty obvious that he was hurt. The rumor mill had it that he was hurt. They had control of the game. They had been rotational with Swayman and Olmark, and they refused to, to pull the trigger on that until game seven. Mistake by yeah. the coach? Oh, no. I, 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 listen, I, I think it was a mistake. There, there are two things. First of all, you talked about the whole concept of the regular season and you know, the Olmark and Swayman and the alternation, whether it was two and one or one and two. I mean, Jeremy Swayman deserved to play in the in the Stanley Cup playoffs more than one game. And the other thing was after Matthew Kachuk got under Olmark's skin in one of those games, 
That to me was the a discussion with Bob Essenza to say, you know what, we're going with the other guy tomorrow. You know, let's give let's give our guy a chance. He's had a brilliant year. It's been a long year. Let's give him a chance just to watch for a night. Because I think, I mean, I think it's important for players to watch once in a while. Just to take a look and understand how the pace of the game is and what am I doing right or what am I doing wrong, particularly if you're not at 100%. So I would have played Swayman in game four. And then I wouldn't have, then I wouldn't necessarily have as much angst if there was angst, and I believe there was, about any discussion about playing Swayman another time in the series. It, 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 they put him in an awful spot to play him in game six. Yeah, it was awful was spot. Really tough to ask a goalie who'd been out two and a half weeks and who had to be feeling psychologically like the unwanted child, right? I mean, he'd been great all year. Well, after a little bit of a, bump, a bumpy start, he played, in fact, statistically near the end, he may have been better than Olmark. But he, he was ready to go, but to keep him sidelined. The other point I wanted to make was Almark wouldn't talk about his injury when the season was over. But he lost a lot of credibility here. It was, it was after game five. You know, when he did look like he was hurting and they lost the game and he said, he quoted Ted Lasso, you have to have the mind of a goldfish. Remember that? <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. So you should just forget what happened and move on. But, you know, he had some, they had somewhat of a great opportunity. They blew it. I, I don't know that the goldfish mentality was what I'd be looking for. I'd be looking for more of a competitive kind of approach coming back at it, but he was sort of, even after game six in the loss, he was like, oh, well, you win some, you lose some kind of attitude. And it was just, it, it didn't strike a positive chord here in Boston. See, I, I, I uh, as much as it's, as the playoffs started, somebody was kept mumbling, well, the Bruins have no playoff experience in goal. Um, they didn't have very much playoff experience behind the bench. And I, I think, I think you can see that play out. I think Paul Maurice, who has been around since, oh gosh, he was a 26-year-old guy coaching yeah. in Hartford, right? Yeah. So, and how long has Hartford been out of the league? Um, you know, so you, you take a look at the way Paul managed situations and the way Jim, the way Jim managed situations. And I think the learning curve was steep for Jim. Because as much as we say about the playoffs being different for players, it is totally different for coaches too. I don't Am I right? You were there. Oh, yeah. I remember you well, getting there's... into arguments with reporters from Canada when they showed up for playoff press conferences. You know, yeah, it's it's a um, it is, and he put it in his own words. He, Montgomery called it a different animal, but he was finding out just how different it was, and the magnitude of your decisions as a coach is clearly uh, so much greater in the postseason than it is, and he. Along the way, the goaltender the goaltender didn't play as well anywhere near as well as he played in the regular season. The defense, which he tried to play in and out, Grizzlick in, Clifton in, forward out. This guy, I mean, it was like it was. They were so stable all year, and and then he was actually playing around with different lines up front. It was. It seemed to be, in my mind, it looked like he was a little bit overwhelmed not only by the situation but by the fact that this wonder wonderland of, of a hockey season that he he had orchestrated now was becoming a i don't know a cesspool I, not a cesspool yeah. that's not right but it was becoming a quagmire and there was he was seeing stuff that he'd never seen before and i don't think he dealt with it very well well and, and uh, i i uh... I'm living example, as you are, of guys that learn from their mistakes. Um, and we're better people for it. We know better for it. I don't think that there was enough adversity for the Boston Bruins in the 82-game regular season. I really don't. I don't think, you know, when push came to shove, as I said, a controversy in Boston during the regular season was losing two. They better not lose three. Yeah. Well, if you look around the league, if you look around the league, Edmonton 
Edmonton in the middle of January was three games over 500, and they were in sheer panic before a game in Los Angeles. Las Vegas, the Golden Knights, Bruce had issues all the way to the All-Star break about what was right or wrong. They, they went through a losing streak. The Maple Leafs had their adversity in October and November. Every team had adversity except one all season long, the Boston Bruins. And so you don't know how to react to adversity until it comes to you. And now it's in game three of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And you better have adversity. How do you manage it? Now, they got through the games three and four, but the adversity came bigger and better than ever in spades in five, six, and seven. And they had no history to deal with. How does this group deal with adversity? How do I, how do I as the coach, deal with adversity with this group? And you need to learn from your mistakes better than you do from your successes. Well, you know, it's funny. As you mentioned earlier, everybody expected the Bruins to be a bubble team. And, yeah. and you expected them, you wanted them to have a decent start when those guys were out, when McAvoy, when, when uh, Marshan and Grizzlick too, out mm -hmm. of the lineup at the beginning. But they cruised right through that. And, the, and, and, and also, all three of those guys came back way earlier than expected. And so that whatever adversity was going to confront them early on turned out to be a bit of a lark. And I think a large part of that was um, the goaltending. Like Lena yeah. Sonmark was just, I mean, I've never seen the, the, the smoothness of a goaltender. And, and it was so dramatically different. And I know he had some issues. But so it blows up. You're, you're Don Sweeney. Now what? You've got all sorts of issues. The three guys that you traded for, Orlov, unrestricted free agent, Bertuzzi, unrestricted free agent, Hathaway, unrestricted free agent, Clifton, too, and a couple of others. You've got two goalies that you're not going to be able to make happy. Okay, Swami, get, read the tea <laughs> leaves and tell me what Don Sweeney's going to do. Well, I, I mean, I, I think in the back of my mind, I've, I've got to find a way to keep both of my goalies happy because it was a good equation during the regular season. And they both played enough in the regular season to be happy. Is that enough for Jeremy Swayman? Is that it enough? It would not be enough for me. Would that be enough for John Shannon to go to the playoffs and then sit on the eight. bench and get stuck into game seven as a do or die? I want to play every night, man. I yeah. want to play every night. So I'm, I'm with, I understand that. The other one is, I mean, Orloff's already said the only, he'll, he'd like to play in Washington or Boston. Well, you know what? Make, make your mind out. Do you want to play in Boston or not? And I, I mean, I think he's a huge asset. So I, I would, I would try to keep him if you can control the price. And that's going to be the big issue. Uh, and the other, I, Hathaway to me, I, I, I've seen Hathaway play since his days in Calgary. Um, you can find a Hathaway at every deadline, right. Mike. You can find Hathaway at every deadline. You can't find Tyler Bertuzzi at every deadline. To me, of the skaters that we talked about, to, to make sure that Tyler Bertuzzi is a Boston Bruin long-term is really important, really important for this club. Because look what they have coming up. I mean, how much depth do they have? How old are? How old is this team? And Tyler Bertuzzi is young enough to build a little bit around after, you know, Preci, Bergeron, we know that, you know, their, their time has come, but Brad Marchant's not far behind. No, he's not. You know, he's not. And, and, and you wonder, like, we've seen, I guess you've seen it, I've seen it, so many teams hang on to their trophy pieces for too long, right? Too long, sure. And, yeah. and, and it'd be better not only for the trophy <laughs> – but the but the team to separate separate themselves from one another and you know although you know it worked for Raymond Bork did not work very well for Patrick Kane this year you know nope. that didn't that didn't turn out there's no guarantee but you know at least it sort of gets rid of the bitterness because you know guys like that their roles are going to change and things are going to get so much different but I, I think well the greatest example of that. The greatest example of that was that was uh, our old pal Bill Torrey. 
you know, who was as yes. loyal as the, as the day is long. And he won four Stanley Cups with that core group. Uh, and he, and he, he, he waited too long with those guys. And by the time he got rid of them, or most of them, or they retired, the franchise took a hit for five years. Oh, yeah. And you just can't, I mean, you, you know that better than most. Well, the long-term effect of being loyal. I, I, I've always felt that a conversation, well, of course you have to deal with no trade contracts now, but looks to me as if Don Sweeney has his hands full with not only managing the cap, and I, I feel so bad for him. Like this guy, you know, he, he was getting killed last year for the Cassidy change to Montgomery. Mm -hmm. Everybody liked Cassidy. Everybody thought it was going to be okay. Cassidy's proven that he can still coach out in Las Vegas. And now they're out of the playoffs. But he did everything beyond that. He did better than any other general manager in the league. And now he's left with, a, you know, the crumbling middle of his franchise and Bergeron and Krejci departing. I don't know where it's all going to wind up. There are some pieces – but there are some holes, too. Well, I'll give him some credit, too, for getting David Pasternak under a long-term deal that I, I think is pretty affordable when you consider what Pasternak is. And yes, somebody it, it, posed, some other talk show host posed the question on the air, who would you rather have, Matthew Tuchuk for $9.5 or Pasternak for 11 and a half? Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's Obviously, a tough one, isn't it? No, it, it's it, it is. Uh, except, I mean, I if I I don't have a heart trophy vote this year. Um, but if there were the three guys that are on my would have been on my ballot would have been the two guys in Edmonton and David Pasternak. You know, I I just thought he was. I just I just think he's a brilliant player. I think he's enjoyable to watch. Uh, he's he's the one of the top five players in the National Hockey League today, and and it just so happens right now, right now in the in you know the first week in May, Matthew Kachuk is in that on that list, but is Matthew Kachuk on that list October to to February? I don't know, but David Pasternak was this year, that's for sure. All right, so we've the Bruins are dead and buried, and now they have to find some way to resurrect themselves, or Don Sweeney does, but your Toronto Maple Leafs. One around, array, <laughs> dancing in the street, literally. They, they I mean, were, it was crazy. It was crazy. Mike, you, were you at the game? No, I don't go to games anymore. I'd rather watch. I can sit at home. You know me. I'm a TV guy. I sit at right. home and watch about four different feeds, and and uh, then I don't have to worry about the traffic. Traffic in <laughs> Toronto is worse than traffic in Boston these days. So Oof. we don't have the big dig yet. We need the big yeah. dig. That's what we need. Yeah. Six of one, half a dozen the other, but it's it's yeah. nasty. But but they they appear to have, for lack of a better phrase, matured. Right? They're much better. Yes, uh, Ryan O'Reilly has made a huge difference. You know that was another one of those deals. We talk about Don Sweeney making some good trades. Kenny Holland did one in Edmonton with Matthias Ekholm. Kyle Dubas did a great trade to get two guys, and I don't have to tell you about Noel Achari. He played in Boston. He played in St. Louis, and now he's playing. Achari's been a really good player for the Maple Leafs, but Ryan O'Reilly has become, in so many ways, uh, the leader of this club in a short period of time. Bigger, more than more than Tavares, more than Matthews or Marner. Ryan O'Reilly has become the conscience of this team, uh, and you can see that reflecting on what they do on the ice. Uh, so, from that perspective, yes. The question for me is, and I think a lot of people are starting to wonder it already, is by winning the first round, the first time in 19 years they won a playoff series, uh, is that enough? And is there going to be a letdown against Florida? There was last night. Will there be a letdown long-term in winning one series? Because that was always the issue. It wasn't winning the Stanley Cup. It was, can we at least win a series? <laughs> um, is that is that It's true. Is that what? enough? For this but, group. but you know what? They're fall they may have fallen into the same trap that the Bruins fell into, that they simply underestimated what the Florida Panthers could do. And they better they better realize that this team is far yeah. better than people gave them credit for, far far better than what their record indicated coming into the postseason. And and that let they're me ask you, let, let me ask you this. When 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 Kids from New England would come and play in Boston, not for the Bruins, but for the visiting team. 
Did it always concern you? Kids coming home, playing, playing in the hub. Did you say, oh God, they got four guys that played, you know, played in the junior Bruins program and they're coming back and their families are going to be there. Did that I ever bug people, you or what? I don't know. I think, I think people coming back to who from Boston or from Toronto or from anywhere coming back home, playing in front of friends and family, definitely get a little bit juiced up. Okay. No question. There's 11 kids. There's 11 kids from Ontario playing for Florida. 11. Well, and, you, and, Paul, and, and Paul Maurice, the coach, is 12. You don't think that they're jacked up to play the Toronto Maple Leafs on Hockey Night in Canada? Oh, I can tell you right <laughs> now, this is they are wired for sound. It is going – That's and I think that's combining with the confidence they got in beating the Bruins – and 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 then the the concept of being the you know the forever underdog, nobody gave us a chance. We're gonna it's us against the world. And then there's eleven kids with every set of parents in the that's crowd. That's interesting. Wow. I wow, think I think lot. it's going to be a factor. Um, yeah, that's that's an amazing. Let's take a quick. I, I, I would I would tell you I would tell you that if your pal Grapes was on the air, we would have heard a lot about that. <laughs> <laughs> um. What about the other series, New Jersey, Carolina? What do you make of that one in a nutshell? Uh, uh, I like uh, Rod Brindamore's a great coach, but I don't know how he can beat the speed of the New Jersey Devils. I know, I know Carolina's fast, but to me, New Jersey is just, you know, to, winning, to win four or five games against the Rangers as they did, uh, Jack Hughes, Jesper Bratt, Nico Heischer, and they've done this basically without their big trade acquisition team, O'Byer, being a scoring factor. And he's he's now a game-time decision for the game tonight. I, I think I think New Jersey's a bit of a juggernaut in all this. I really do. Yeah, I just didn't expect them to be this ready. But I, I picked them now in this series because um, without Svechnikov, without Pacioretty, yeah. they just don't have enough offensive And Yes, no Teravainen right. either, right? Broken hand, right? That's yeah, right. So, I agree with. So. And they, yeah, there's nobody on that roster. Like, there's nobody on that roster that if you're down two nothing, if Carolina is down two nothing, who's going to stand there and say, "Boys, jump on my back. I'm going to score a goal or two for you, and then we'll get going." Now, the, right now, the, the right now, the inspirational leader of that club is Brett Burns, and Burns has done a good job. But I'm not sure he can play offensively enough to score a goal or two to be the difference maker when the yeah. team gets down. And, and and couple that lack of offense in Carolina with this unveiling of this new phenomenon and goal in New Jersey. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know where he's been hiding, but he's he's been brilliant in the times that he's seen action in the playoffs. Well, uh, they they uh, they drafted him out of Switzerland, and then he played uh, in the United States Hockey League. I joked on Twitter the other day. I said every general manager in the league now is sending their scouting department to the USHL to find another goalie. Uh, <laughs> but he's he he makes it look easy. And mind you, I think their defense makes it look easy too. You know, they're a big defense, Mike. Yeah, they're they are. A big, they are a big yeah. defense, and. Once they learned how to control their emotions and control the speed of the Rangers, which wasn't as fast as we thought it was, obviously, the Devils took over, did a really solid job. They were fun. They were they were fun to watch. Yeah, they were. Okay, uh, Dallas, Seattle, Dallas regroup and get the job done. They've got Ottinger in goal. That's a big factor. But you know, and Seattle just keeps making people change their minds. Seattle, Seattle is uh, uh, four lines of water bugs. They're just water bugs. You know, they're not Smurfs. I remember when Bob McCammon called somebody the Smurfs, I think, one year. But that, uh, just saying that um, Seattle has four lines, and I, don't, I can't tell you which is the number one line. They're all the same. They just roll, and they're fast. But I, I, in the end, I, I mean, I, who's the best player in, in the, uh, on the ice I think that, you know, I think Rupa Hintz is the best player on the ice. He plays for Dallas. The best defenseman is Merrill Heiskanen. He plays for Dallas. And the best goalie is Jake Ottinger. He plays for Dallas. I don't see how they can lose in the long run. Remember, they lost game one to Minnesota, too. So yeah. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, well, I don't think they, they lost panic one in Pete DeBoer. 
They lost game one to Minnesota in one of the most baffling goaltending changes I've seen in a long time. They put in Marc-Andre Fleury, lost game two, and then the, the ship turned around. It was – anyway, that's for another day. Um, Edmonton <laughs> and Vegas. Uh, Vegas had to figure it out. Our old friend Bruce Cassidy is there probably laughing over the fact that the Bruins are out and he's in the second round, but he's got a tiger by the tail. Well, the two best – offensive players in hockey, the two best players in hockey, in Dreisaitl yeah. and, and McDavid, um, do you give them any chance? I do if Mark Stone's healthy. And I'm not sure Mark Stone's healthy. He left the ice yesterday with a stiff back. He was obviously in pain. Um, he will play through anything, as every NHL player will do, Mike, as you know, will play through pain to play the game. Sometimes he foolishly. Was Sometimes, Sometimes stupid. stupid. Yeah, stupidly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Mark Stone was the difference. Was the difference um, in the last series versus Winnipeg? He was brilliant at both ends of the ice as a forward. Uh, if the Oilers can can continue to do what they do in the power play in Vegas, who didn't take as many penalties as anybody else in the league, take some stupid penalties, then the then the Oilers should win. Because when you have a power play that at sixty percent. <laughs> then you're, you're 60%. Then you're then you're then you have a chance. I think this is a pick 'em. I really do, but it all to me depends on how healthy Mark Stone is. Stanley Cup final pits who against two and the winner is Well, I think it could be Toronto versus Edmonton. And I think the Edmonton Oilers would win. Yikes. And, and okay, you heard it. Wouldn't our like... friends wouldn't our friends at TNT who have the Stanley Cup final love that? <laughs> To have hey, an all-Canadian Stanley Cup final. I'm crying no tears over the uh, NBC, TNT, ABC, ESPN, <laughs> none of them. <laughs> anyway, John, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, have a great summer. Hopefully we'll talk to you uh, next year in the fall on the show. And uh, everybody, buy that book. What's the name of it again? <laughs> Evolve or Die. All right. Anyway, we got Mike, it. you've been a great friend. You've been a great friend and a great ally and a great confidant. It's uh, nice to be on with you. All right, kiddo. Stay well. When you go out for dinner, you really want to head to the spot you know, and your local gem in the City of Presidents is the Fowler House Cafe. Family owned and operated, the Fowler House Cafe is a Quincy landmark, serving American cuisine and specialty items every day. Stop by the Fowler House Cafe and enjoy their famous buffalo fingers, game day sandwiches, pastas, steaks, and more. Better yet, try their South Shore bar style pizza now. These crowd pleasers are all homemade and will keep you and your family happy. Trying to catch the Free Jacks game with a few friends on Saturday? The Fowler House Cafe offers 18 different draft beers, including seasonal options, micro-brews, and handcrafted cocktails ready for game day. To top it off, the Fowler House Cafe has 4K ultra-high-def TVs everywhere, so you'll never miss a play again. The Fowler House Cafe, located at 1049 Hancock Street, right in the heart of Quincy Center. Call 617-773-9000 or go to thefowlerhousecafe.com to place your order today. The Fowler House Cafe, Quincy Lindsay's best. Hey, this is Mike Milbury for Ketchis Law. Ketchis Law Group has experienced injury lawyers who are ready to fight for you and get you what you deserve. They have won over $1 billion for their clients since 1986, and you don't pay anything unless they win. Ketchis Law Group is made up of 50 experienced attorneys and over 100 highly trained team members who truly care about your well-being and financial future. The team at Ketchis Law Group will work tirelessly to get you the results you deserve. Ketchis Law Group, where they take care of New Englanders who get hurt through no fault of their own. Call 508-321-7000 or learn more at catcheslaw.com. Attention high school sports fans. Are you an armchair official? You know, the parent or fan who constantly yells at the referees and loves to let everyone know just how bad you think they are. Well, if you think you could do better, then get in the game and prove it. It's time for you to suit up and make the calls where they actually count. Every sport in Massachusetts needs more officials. Sign up today at highschoolofficials.com. Okay, Ben, this is the uh, the end of the line for you and me, as it is the end of the line for the Bruins. What happened? Oh, man, if I could tell you, uh, we'd, we'd be rich guys, according to uh, FanDuel and all those other uh, platforms where people, I'm sure, made a lot and lost even more. But, hey, you know, I didn't bet, so I won. 
Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, the betting thing's getting out of control, in my opinion. But listen, I, I learned my lesson about not betting a long time ago. But they came into this series, historic series or season with, with all the hopes in the world. Any questions that they had at the beginning of the year, and everybody had questions. What's going to happen? Krejci, Bergeron, are they going to be okay? And then it was... You know, is the goaltending going to hold up? Um, and every question was answered. Goaltending was better than I've ever seen it as a tandem. Lindholm was spectacular. What did he finish with? Plus 47? One of the Something tops like in the league that? for a reason. I think, yeah. I, top, was he tops or not tops? He was close to it. He was in the top was, five, at least. And he was tremendous. McAvoy came back early. He was great. All of the bit players, and I hate to call them bit players, they're good players. Grizzly, Clifton, Forbert, Carlo had a tremendous year. Uh, and then up front, I mean, they just sprinkled all sorts of roses all over Marchand and Bergeron and Postnock has 61 goals and Krejci's okay. And, you know, you you come into the, the trade deadline, you're done, Sweeney. First of all, you've been murdered last summer for – the things that you did or haven't done, Sweeney and Neely together. And then they fire the coach, which is highly controversial, mm -hmm. and go from, you know, established Bruce Cassidy to wildcard Jim Montgomery. But it all, they shuffle the deck, and it all comes up in a royal straight flush. The greatest regular season, or one of the, whoever, depending on how, what era and all that kind of stuff, but it, who cares? They had more points than anybody else. And it was, there was absolutely no reason to feel anything but optimism, but particularly since Don Sweeney was not content to just have that season, but to, to I think, accurately and, and boldly add at the trading deadline three very good acquisitions, Orlov and Hathaway, Orlov turned out to be, you know, a 1A defenseman or, you know, whatever, however you want to put him. He was he was terrific while he was here for the most part. Hathaway was a grinder, got a little tangled up or tired in the finals. But anyway, uh, and then Tyler Bertuzzi, who was just a sweet addition to the lineup in terms of depth and scoring and, and um, grittiness. So they start this series with – everything in order except all of a sudden Patrice Bergeron goes to Montreal and he he gets dinged Ben did you think he needed to be in that lineup not at all obviously we now know why he was in the lineup for uh, family reasons uh, obviously we wish all the best for his family his father and I can understand the sentimental reasons but in the and bigger picture what an awful idea yeah, and Kent Hughes is the general manager and was his agent before this. But it was a, it was a dumb idea. And I, Bergeron tried to cover, I think. Said, oh, this was the plan all along. But that was a mistake. He gets hurt. Yeah. He's not 100%. His performance is not 100% when he finally gets back into the lineup. And then David Krejci gets dinged up in the middle of the series. And most importantly, the goaltender, the the golden child all year long is clearly dinged up. I, I don't know if it happened before the series. He says no, but after the series started and he looked nothing like the goaltender, he made some good saves early on, but he looked nothing like the compact, intelligent, you know, economical goaltender that we saw all year. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, and, and Jack Edwards hit it right on the button. Uh, the couple of games before the end of the season when Allmark went down to make a routine save, and he did not pop back up as quickly as you would expect him to. And as soon as he looked down at that right hip, you said, oh, no. And, of course, you know, as traditional NHL uh, press releases go, no injury, nothing wrong, nobody, you know, nothing to see here, folks. Move it along, right? Well, you know, we all saw what we saw, and for uh, whoever makes that decision to pretend like they didn't see that i mean that that was the nail in the coffin i think right there you you and john hit it uh, right on the button you know as soon as you see that it's time to get swayman activated you know great job getting us through a record-setting season ollie 
But, uh, you know, you get hurt. You know, it's it's not a soldier's yeah. fault when you get shot in the foot five minutes from the end of the mission. You know, it's not your fault. But you as a player, regardless of compete level, I think, Mike, you got to do what's best for the team. And he should have said, I'm not 100%, and this is not going to be what we all want it to be. I need to tag out. I mean, what was the point of doing this whole double goalie tandem if the moment of truth comes and we go, nah, maybe not? Yeah, I, I, he said it. He wouldn't say what the injury was, but he said, you know, other people said it was major injury. But it, I mean, they had to be smarter than that, or were they smarter than that? Or and I now direct my questions towards the coach. I mean, everybody came in and happy go lucky, and everything was good. But then Bergeron goes down, Krejci goes down, Omar's hurt, and he just keeps pushing them out over the bench and back into action. You think he was overwhelmed? It might have been. You know, uh, one of my observations overall from the season, Mike, was the Bruins never really got a taste of that snapback effect losing. You know, they dominated the regular season all year long. Yeah, they had a couple of games here and there, but they never had that moment of, uh-oh. And unfortunately for the Bees, that moment came at the hands of the Florida Panthers in the worst possible time in Game 3. And once that happened, I mean, we all saw how it unfolded from there. The Bruins looked like deer in the headlights after that point. They didn't know how to respond to that kind of adversity. And a 17-point difference between these two clubs at the end of the regular season. And it will go down. I thought it was more than that. 17 for the end, yeah. I mean, that's what I saw. At least I could be wrong. Don't quote me, but... Yeah, I tell you, I mean, because I think it was bigger than that. I think it was more like 40, but you know, you figure that out before the end of the show. But I got to tell you, the first time I saw all year long, I saw an upset coach was in game six when the Bruins defense was giving the puck away left to right. Yep. And then he kind of snapped and then it was so uncharacteristic and it looked like it looked to me as if emotions were afraid. Um, but okay. So they, they weren't able to get it done. Maybe they didn't have enough adversity. Maybe they, they didn't have whatever, but you got to give Florida credit. I mean, they came in game one were the better team clearly outplayed the Bruins in game two games, three and four. Somehow the Bruins pulled it together to win. I don't think they were dominant. I think the clear implication of, what happened in the first four games it was that Florida's forecheck was hard, was tenacious, was causing turnovers, and that easy flow that you saw from the Bruins was gone. By the start of game five, even though they were at home, it was, it was a Florida team that was persistent, that was bigger than Boston uh, up front, that intimidated Boston's defensemen to the extent they turned over the pucks. I don't think they were physically intimidated, uh, but – I mean, did you talk about Lusterinen all year long or, or Verhege? No, nobody ever talked about those guys. Maybe Tachuk and Barkov, but, but that was it. The, the talk about Florida was their goaltending was inside out. Bobrovsky couldn't stop pucks. Spencer Knight was in trouble. And then by, by the time the end of the year comes around, they're, they're using a 30-year-old goaltender who's really not ever been established in the National Hockey League. It was – but it was – what was surprising to me is that Florida outwilled Boston, particularly along the wall and in the checking game. And if you do that, you give your chance, uh, you give yourself a chance to win, particularly if you've got some talent. And they clearly had more talent than we gave them credit for. It's absolutely true. And uh, now Sergei Bobrovsky is going to go down in history as what they call in the circles I've been reading, Mike. They call him the showstopper. If you recall, he did this also to a on a tear at the time, Tampa Bay Lightning and eliminated them out of playoff contention too after winning a President's Trophy. Yeah, that seems like so, a lifetime ago, but he can clearly do it. I don't think he was the be-all, end-all, but he got the goaltending up to above average, and and that was good enough to beat Boston at this particular juncture. I just, uh, I guess we're all stunned, and now what was a this beautiful castle built by Don Sweeney just crumbles to sand because they have all sorts of issues going forward. They're going to have to make a decision on the goaltender, I think. 
either Swayman or Omok, either one of them is going to bring an asset, probably younger, cheaper asset. It's going to have to happen. And they're going to have to figure out whether Orlov is a guy they can afford to keep. I'd love to see that happen. I don't care what other three defensemen there are beside Lindholm and McAvoy. And Bertuzzi, has, they have to find a way to keep him. I don't see Krejci or Bergeron coming back. And so it looks like a very interesting summer for Don Sweeney, who went from the top of the mound to the lowest of valleys. And, and now, uh, I don't know, there's not much left to say, my friend. Unfortunately, there really isn't. You know, uh, all of Bruins Nation expected more. But, uh, you know, Mike, you, you and I, we, we've seen this before. We remember the 90s, and we remember that feeling of, okay, they're doing great. How are we going to find a way to screw this up, unfortunately? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, I've heard a lot of that. Um, and I've heard a lot about this being the greatest collapse, in, you know, Bruins history or Boston history. But you know what? It was They had seven games to get it done. They came up against a good opponent with a good matchup. I mean, it was a great disappointment. It was an abject failure. But when you're talking about collapses, you're talking about the 86 Red Sox who have two outs and two strikes on a batter and an error at first base causes – and a pitcher that was out of sync blows the world championship for the first time they would have had it in, in half a century. And I won't dis – I won't put a uh, any anything other than a exclamation point besides the 79 Bruins who had lost to the 77 and 78 Canadians – and now we're poised to beat them and go on to the Stanley Cup final, which I'm sure we would have won, and shot ourselves, not in the foot, but in the head, with two and a half minutes to go when we were up by uh, a goal against the great Canadian team, gave them the power play, Guy Lafleur hammered the nail into our coffin, and I put those ahead of this year's collapse, but hopefully nobody will remember 79 as a big collapse, and they'll put this year's in, but we're done, Ben. <laughs> we're all done. Unfortunately so, my friend, for, for this particular season. I, I wish we had a few more weeks to go and live this dream a little longer, but we look ahead to next year. Oh, I can't stand those words. But so goes the life of an NHL fan or the Boston Bruins organization, one of the greatest in history for a reason, Mike. And, well, this one uh, in the books. And I just want to say thank you very much to our sponsors all season long, Catch Us Law. They've been amazing backing the show up and making sure that we've been able to talk hockey for all the good guys and good gals out there across Wimex land, all hockey season long. And to everybody that's enjoyed, well, don't forget, all of our past episodes are going to be online. They're not going anywhere. WMEXBoston.com. Click on Gloves Off Hockey. And, well, Mike, I guess that does open up the schedule a bit more. Uh, hopefully you'll yeah. be hitting the old golf course, and uh, yeah, heck, maybe right. I can even join you out there. All right. That sounds good, Ben, but thanks for your help all season long, and um, we'll catch up. Goodbye to everybody. Thanks for listening in. Folks, you've been listening to Gloves Off Hockey right here on 1510 WMEX, brought to you proudly by Catches Law. Catch them online at catcheslaw.com. Signing off for this season, we'll be back to drop the gloves again in 2024.